Welcome to Freelance with Freedom. I'm your host, Harriet Hadfield, and I'm so excited you're here. I help creative freelancers become fully booked and in demand in any market, on their terms and without burning out. I went from broke makeup artist living in a room I couldn't stand up in, living paycheck to paycheck, to working on the red carpets of LA as a celebrity makeup artist. I also created a six-figure business during a global pandemic in less than seven months. After working around the world and on set as a celebrity makeup artist 15 plus year, I was tired, tired of the hustle culture and an emphasis on being busy. I was tired of the starving artist mentality and buying into the narrative, there's only one way to be successful. So I decided to create my own version of success, to break the rules and rewrite my own. And I wanna show you how to do the same. If you're a freelance creative and you want to generate consistent income, work with your dream clients, and step into the CEO role in your business, you're in the right place. There's room for you at this table. I'm so excited because today's episode is sponsored by my signature group program, Freelance with Freedom, a lifetime group coaching program to help creative freelancers double their bookings in any market. This lifetime, yes, you heard me right, lifetime program is the group coaching container for creatives looking to increase their clients, irrelevant of what market they're in or where they live. This is my proven framework to double your bookings and create a life of freedom and fulfillment. This transformational program will change the way you do business forever and set you up with the skills you need for consistent bookings for life. No agent required, no more relying on word of mouth and no more burnout. Waitlisters have the chance to secure an extra special bonus. So join the waitlist now and you can check out the show notes for more details. Hello everyone, how are we all? I have been enjoying some time back in England seeing family and it's been so nice, apart from the fact I have caught a cold, which was, I'm sure was going to happen with the change of seasons, which my body is not used to. But there are so many photos around my house and I was looking at photos of makeup I did on my sister at my parents' living room and without knowing it, that was one of the first shoots I ever did as a makeup artist. And when I'm back home, I always find myself thinking a lot about my journey as a creative, especially because there are so many photos and photographic evidence everywhere of what I did, which reminds me, I definitely need to start printing more of my photos and not just rely on my phone. So I hope you're having a good week wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And I'm really excited to share today's episode with you. Today, I want to talk about life after Vogue. So one of the things people always ask me is why I left a very successful makeup career to become a full-time business coach for creatives. And I get that to many people, I was living the dream. And by all accounts, I had achieved what so many people wanted. For a time, it was what I wanted. It was everything I dreamed of and more. To be clear, I have some really incredible memories, but there were also some wounds I had to heal. So today, I want to share a reel behind the scenes of what I see now as an industry that desperately needs shaking up, an industry that glorifies certain kinds of success over others, and that actively pits creatives against each other, rather making space for more talent. And I want to share with you how you can create your version of success and own it, even if it doesn't look like someone else's. I want to share with you how to navigate being a creative freelancer without falling into the trap of comparison and feeling like you have something to prove. So from the age of 14, when I first really discovered a love of makeup, I dreamed of moving to London to do makeup professionally. 
and I think I actually moved to London to pursue a career in makeup back in, I'm trying to remember if it was 2003 or 2005. But from day one, as an assistant to other well-known artists, my willingness to please knew no bounds. (laughs) And I took pride in how much I could bend and mold myself into the perfect assistant because my belief was I was willing to do whatever it took. So if they said jump, I said how high. And the idea of sacrifice was apparent to me from day one. I got the memo and I didn't ask questions. And it's fair to say that working for Vogue and all the shiny editorials was what my industry told me I was supposed to want. So it was what the people I was assisting told me. It was what people I was working with told me. It was what the conversation was geared around. And working for Fashion Week, that held so much more clout than, say, working with celebrities or doing e-com or advertising when I first moved to London. And all the cool kids were shooting for Vogue, Dazed Magazine and ID. And the whole culture really reminded me of school and the deep desire I had to feel accepted. And I most certainly was not a cool kid. I always felt like an outsider in those circles. And yet I still wanted in. And Vogue was seen as the gold standard. It was the pinnacle of success as a makeup artist. It's so funny because growing up, my mum had collected Vogue magazines probably since the 80s. And our house was filled with Vogues. So growing up, I would study the names inside the covers. I'd look at the photographers, the models, and of course, the makeup artists. And my sister, who would begrudgingly model for me while mostly shouting at me for shouting at her because she blinked too much when I tried to put mascara on. I remember her vividly saying, you know, you can't shout at people when they sit in your chair because they're going to blink too. (laughs) And I'm being mad at her because I knew she was right. But I was like, just sit still. And like I said, I would study these makeup looks and try to recreate them on her. So I'd recreate these looks of artists I admire. And I would draw sketches in my notebooks and I'd record what makeup I had used and I'd be reviewing what worked and what didn't. And I'd cut out magazine clippings. Remember the good old scrapbook days of the makeup looks I wanted to try and glue them into my notebook. And I'd write those little notes with them. Looking back, this was the most exciting part of my entire journey. That excitement, I can remember so well, those feelings of anticipation and the passion I felt at that time in my life was unrivaled. And I want to tell you about one of my happiest memories. One of the happiest times I ever had was doing a regional makeup competition. I think I was doing a BTEC makeup college course, not the kind of college where it's like university in England our college system is what you do before American college or university so it was a BTEC makeup college course and I got to go to this regional makeup competition and I won first place creating a makeup look on my friend Kate who I thought was the most beautiful woman in the world I styled it myself I did the hair myself I thought the whole concept out as if Vogue was the brief I practiced it I would time myself because we only had a certain amount of time to do the competition in and I took this so serious and keep in mind this is before we had things like glow up or America's Next Top Model that you see today on TV so this was my world (laughs) and winning the regional competition meant I would go on to the national final in Manchester and I've never wanted to win something more badly than I did at that moment this competition was my everything Okay, this competition was held in a huge arena style setting 
with lots of other young makeup artists from all across the country. And again, I'd practiced every day. I'd studied my look and thought how I could elevate it even further because I really, really wanted to win. And I had to do the same look I'd won the regional with at the national final. So did the competition. After a nerve-biting wait, they start to call out the finalists at the national. So I wasn't third place. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, maybe I'm second place. Nope, they read out second place. I wasn't second. So my brain was like, this must be it. I must have won. And I can't explain why, but I just believed I could. And I like dared to dream. Like I really saw myself winning. And I'll never forget as they read out the first place winner. So they were like, and the winner is, ha. And I was so certain they were going to say Harriet. (laughs) But instead they went on to say the winner is Hannah. Followed by someone else's surname that clearly wasn't me. And I was heartbroken. Truly. I ran to the toilet so I could cry in private and I cried a lot. They had medals for the winners and I remember thinking nothing had ever meant more to me in my life up to that point than a little piece of metal with first place etched into it. And I left Manchester with a vow I would win it next year. Sure enough, a year later, I had a new idea. It was going to be better than last time. I had a new model And this time I made the costume, I made a hairpiece, I even made props. (laughs) Like, I was going all in. And I came first in the regional finals again, so I was going to the national final, and I told myself, this time, this time I'm going to win. And sure enough, when they called out the top three, I was petrified. Okay, my expectations of myself, my work were clear. Third place was called out, not me. And then second and I still wasn't in second place, it was time to reveal who had come first. And the pain of last year came flooding back to me, how important this competition was. And this makeup competition held absolutely no academic clout. I didn't have any letters that would be added to my name. And generally speaking, had no significance in terms of my career or what it would do for my career. And yet it meant more to me than anything I'd ever done in my life yet. This really was my everything. And I won. I came first. And I cheered. I laughed. I cried. And again, the first person I called was my mum. I did it. I did it. I was so elated. I was shouting down the phone, crying. And I can remember how special that moment felt. And if I'm honest, I don't know if any other moment in my makeup career has ever felt as pivotal as that one. Because it confirmed if I wanted something, even if it didn't work out the first time, I could do it. And the beauty of something that to the outside world or an industry in general that had no real significance meant everything to me. And I'm going to come back to this later, but I want you to know that the girl holding that little medal for doing makeup felt complete, if only for a short while. So with the awareness of Vogue being the big goal and the thing that actually counted, I'm using air quotes, I set to work. (laughs) So after my makeup college course, along with a shit ton of student loan debt, I moved to London. I paid what was then astronomical amounts of money to attend a university, which was considered one of the best makeup schools in the world, where the name itself was supposed to wow our future clients, or so we were told. I think today it's like 10 times more than what I paid, so even more astronomical now. And I was really excited. I was ready to get my name out there. And more importantly, I was ready for Vogue. (laughs) I was like, let's make this Vogue thing happen. 
And I worked really hard. I always wanted the top grades I wanted to impress. And I really believe my distinction would translate to more bookings and an influx of Vogue requests. Because that's what school told me, right? School was like, you do well, you get good grades, you're going to succeed. And I noticed the tutors weren't really working in the industry or hadn't really done any of the things I wanted to do, which I found confusing. But I didn't ask questions because I was a good girl and I did what I was told. I continued to practice my makeup skills on anyone that would let me. Seriously, anyone that let me borrow their face, I was on it. And I remember several late night dorm room makeup sessions in our halls of residence. And that was the one amazing thing about my university experience. Like those times were the best, the people I met. And I was forever inspired by the fact I was surrounded by other creatives. And I just love the fact we were all so young and so hungry to make a name for ourselves. Sure enough, there inevitably came a point where asking our tutors questions about how do we get paid to do this? (laughs) We were getting more and more curious. It was coming towards the end of our training and it felt like those questions were really like falling on deaf ears. So it seemed that beyond being told to assist, no one really knew how to get booked. So I just presumed it would work out because I was one of the top makeup schools. Surely that's why it costs so much, right? This was my thinking. And I want you to keep in mind back then, we didn't have social media. So MySpace was just starting out and to meet people, aka the creatives, you had to go out or out out as I affectionately call it. And anyone who's English will know what we mean by that. (laughs) As a broke student living in London, I remember buying cheap wine that tasted like vinegar. This was from the local off license. So that's a liquor store if you're in the US so that I wouldn't have to buy drinks when I was out because I couldn't afford them. So instead I would drink tap water and I pretend it was vodka. (laughs) Again, it felt like a popularity contest where you were either in the cool crowd or you had to have a parent who worked in the industry to get a foot in. So it always makes me laugh when clients tell me, oh, it was so much easier back when you started out because for most people that just wasn't the case. We had no way to market ourselves beyond word of mouth. And the industry dictated the very few versions of success that existed at the time. So in order to succeed, you had to fit into a box that the industry had chosen. I tested, I networked, I did everything I could to get me and my work noticed. And I assisted for three years, going more and more into debt in the process. But the message was clear. I had to just keep going, earn my stripes and wait my turn. And I was repeatedly reminded how lucky I was for the opportunities being given to me by the artists. And I waited. My debt continued to spiral. But I would be like, I'm living my dream. I'm living my dream. And each time it would be like, am I? (laughs) I sort of like let that question creep in. I just needed a few big editorials in my book. I just needed to keep on keeping on. That was what I told myself. So my first Vogue shoot came about four to five years into my career as makeup artist, and it was a shoot for Vogue Italia. So I felt like I'd won the lottery. I thought, this is it. This is what I've been working so hard for. No one was paid, of course, because we were getting Vogue. The name was our grand payment. And the shoot was fun. The images were beautiful. I was thrilled. But the thing is, I was told those shoots would like unlock a faraway galaxy where any client I wanted was available to me and money would just fall out of the sky because I was so lucky to have Vogue in my book. And I continued to shoot for some of the biggest fashion editorials at the time, 
including Wonderland, InStyle, Tatler, magazines like this. I worked at Milan and London Fashion Week, paying for my flights each time out of pocket. And as a result, I was still working for free. And I waited. I waited a bit more. And I kept on waiting. And I was still broke. But now I was broke and miserable because I'd believed the lie that working for Vogue would somehow guarantee something and that the sacrifices I made to work for free time and time again would be worth it. I believed my distinction at beauty school was going to get me jobs. I believed the school I went to and paying all that money was going to get me jobs. So I was equal parts frustrated and confused. Like, why wasn't it working? Why wasn't I making money doing this thing I loved? My uni course was supposed to help, but it hadn't. Vogue was supposed to help. It didn't. And I didn't fit in. I didn't have a family member who worked at Vogue. So something had to give. And my debt was starting to feel like a heavy burden. I had to try something different. The funny thing is as well, the more I worked for free in an industry that glorified the hustle, the more my happiness declined. I needed money. And guess what? I actually wanted money. And I was tired of apologizing for that, even to myself. I thought it meant I didn't want it enough or I wasn't a true artist because I valued money and creating a life that was of my own choosing. So even when I got offered Vogue magazine or some kind of prestigious fashion-related booking, I no longer wanted it. When I did work on fashion editorials that paid me nothing, I felt resentful, especially when other young artists who lived at home with their families in London, who usually came from wealth, would rock up in the newest Prada loafers and talk about how stressed they were. And with the rise of social media, the fashion industry and many creative industries as a whole looked down on it, ridiculed it even. And yet I saw a light at the end of the tunnel. I saw opportunity. I saw a different path. And I was really curious to learn more. I'd seen a few people create their own path using social media. And I found it fascinating how much the fashion industry criticized them. They were seen as sellouts. Which makes a lot of sense why to this day so many creators fear the judgment and past associations towards utilising social media. But one thing could not be argued. These people were making money and a lot of it. I was done trying to be a cool kid. I was done following the rules. And I was certainly done working for free. I was tired of other people telling me what was a great opportunity. I was ready to reclaim what would be and what wouldn't be an opportunity for me on my terms. So I'd noticed a few artists using YouTube to promote their work and gain visibility in a bid to get more clientele. And I was really intrigued. I'd always loved the idea of a community and being able to make beauty more accessible. It wasn't lost on me how elitist the fashion industry was and not to mention the huge lack of diversity. I remember thinking, I think I could do that. And with some offcuts of a backdrop the photographer was going to throw away, I had a backdrop. And I propped up an old camera that had no autofocus. That meant you had to stay really, really still, otherwise it'd be blurry. I remember putting it on top of some books and I was good to go. It was definitely a learning curve, but I kept posting. Even when no one was watching, I kept making content. And just like when I won that very first makeup competition, it was fun because I was excited again for what this could lead to. There was excitement in the unknown. I felt really creative again. I had to accept that my love for the fashion industry had dwindled. And at some point, I had to make peace with that and get honest with what I actually wanted. I really enjoyed YouTube. I found it really fulfilling and empowering creating on my own terms. Ironically, the freedom I experienced increased my creativity tenfold. And I had started to move towards more beauty advertising work. 
And celebrity work actually came as a byproduct of that. So now clients were asking me to recreate looks I had made on my YouTube channel or recreate looks I had created for shoots that I had art directed or that they'd seen on my other social media platforms. YouTube was making me money directly from both ad revenue and indirectly because more people were finding me and my work. So without knowing it, I was also building a brand. And the first four-figure job I ever got as a makeup artist came as a result of a client seeing my work on YouTube. I got paid the most money I'd ever earned and I was being paid to create art that I loved, that I had creative control over. And it's funny because I think a lot of creators have this idea that once they're in one market, they can't change. But it's just not true. As my channel grew, I went on to explore Instagram as a platform with my audience and I found myself compiling a career that was really working for me on my terms. I noticed that a lot of people in the fashion industry were all of a sudden jumping on the bandwagon as time went on. And now they want it in too, albeit with some resistance. And the fear of being seen as an influencer still loomed, I think, for a lot of creatives. And it does to this day still cause a lot of fear that creatives won't be taken seriously as artists because of that old school notion, the old narratives of what using social media has been seen to mean. And I think the word influencer still has a lot of negative connotations for a lot of people, so much so that they don't market themselves online and wonder why they're not getting booked as much as they could be. And as a result of creating my own path, I was still able to shoot for magazines like Vogue, but I could now also turn it down and not give it a second thought. The work that was making me the most money was my beauty work, not my fashion editorial. And the beauty work was what inspired me the most. And I used to compare myself like crazy to the artists who were geared to be the next industry thought leaders and visionaries. But what I know now is that we can all be visionaries. So just because you don't want to be the next Pat McGrath or the next Mary Testino, it doesn't make you less of an artist. It doesn't make you less of a visionary. By the same token, if you are deeply inspired by these people, just know that's okay too. It all works. I have so many clients who come to me who want to work for huge global brands and editorials like Vogue, Elle, Harper's Bazaar, and they get them because I remind them it's all available. In Freelance with Freedom, I show my clients how to create their version even if it is Vogue they want, or if it's something else. The only danger comes when we put any singular definition of success on a pedestal. The key is honoring the version you want, irrelevant of what someone else thinks of it. The only thing you can bet on this industry is you. And at some point you have to choose your own definition of success. Just because you don't have Vogue in your book or even don't want Vogue in your book, it doesn't make you less of an artist. Working for free in the creative industries isn't new to any of us. And while every project won't compensate you financially, there is a lot to be said for the ones that have a deep meaning to each of us, that feeds our souls, that has a different value outside of money, but you have to decide what these are for you. The 17-year-old me who won that makeup competition felt a deep sense of fulfillment because her insignificant medal had the same meaning to her as a Vogue cover, if not more so. No one could take that away from me and they never will. I always look back on that moment as one of the most successful because of how much I got everything I ever wanted. I knew happiness. We must all choose our own North Stars and the things that genuinely feed our souls creatively versus believing there is only one right way to be a real, in inverted commas, artist and that you should sacrifice for someone else's version. One of the reasons Freelance with Freedom is so special is because we don't push a narrative on our clients of what success is meant to look like. 
You get to decide what goals you're working towards. We support you in creating your version of success. If you're ready to create your version, join us inside Freelance with Freedom Lifetime Group Program. And let's destroy the notion together that there is a definitive way to be a successful creative once and for all. I can't wait to support you and help you fulfill your dreams. Thank you so much for listening to Freelance with Freedom. I'd love to continue this conversation over on Instagram. So come hang out with me at Freelance with Freedom. You can follow me there for mini trainings that include mindset and strategy to help you step into the CEO role in your business. And if you're interested in taking this work further, head to www.harrietadfield.com to find out more about working together. I'm wishing you an incredible week and I can't wait to see you in the next one.